Hello, and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. As never, I'm doing the intro because Tannen is on vacation, so I'm going to be joined this week by special guest host Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? I'm doing great, Ross. How are you, man? I'm doing very well myself. Had a nice week. I, I had a productive day yesterday. I've, I've had some, some cardboard boxes collect in my apartment that I finally just got the wherewithal to spend 20 minutes breaking down. Um, basically had a Wednesday where I remembered it was recycling day <laughs> and got rid nice. of it. So now my apartment is a little bit less cluttered, and that always just makes you feel really good. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, every now and then I'll just get the wherewithal to just clean up and sweep and stuff, and it always makes me feel real good after yeah, you got that nice feeling of accomplishment, even though it didn't really, you know, take that much effort. Yeah. And then you spend like five minutes being like, why didn't I do this earlier? I'm such an idiot. Only to do repeat this same exact cycle. Yeah. Yeah, that's just, that's just how the world works. Uh, so I wanted to, to begin. Normally, we spend some time bullshitting. And lately, Tannen and I have basically just bullshitted nonstop about sports because baseball is no, going on. You. And the NBA season is wrapping up. But with you, you just got back uh, from California, what, like a month ago? A little over a month ago. Callie uh, got laid off from Blizzard working on the Hearthstone esports team. Her basically entire job was outsourced to some company from Europe. And then uh, she applied to work at Star City Games. And now she is the assistant manager under Ben Blywise. Awesome. Awesome. So... Um, you know, let's basically say like it start with how awesome it has been to have you back in Roanoke. I know, you know, we all missed you, even Corey, when you only overlap for what, like a couple months here. Uh, and, um, you know, I, it's, it's a little bit different than, you know, what, what we had before. We've just got sort of more people again. I know like when I first moved here, there was, you know, eight, 10, 12 of us around, um, and they kind of dwindled, you know, people left to go off to, uh, you know, jobs at wizards or moved away for various reasons. And now we've got this nice, nice little group of people. Um, so it was great to sort of add you back onto that. Uh, and I'm hoping you're having a good time back in Roanoke as well. Yeah, man, honestly, uh, the last month that I've lived in Roanoke, it has been more enjoyable and I felt more of a complete person than I did for the 18 months that we were in California. Mostly just, you know, COVID obviously shut everything down, and but, like, we didn't know anybody who moved out there, and so we just, like, didn't really have contact with other humans for over a year, and it was just kind of a nightmare. Yeah, I can I can imagine, like, you know, trying to meet new people as an adult when you're in your 30s is already a, a daunting task, right? Just, yeah. just in, in, under normal conditions. Trying to do it under COVID conditions is basically impossible. Yeah, I mean, also just like the type of people who would want to be friends with me at, when we're both like over thirty, they're probably just like not desirable friends, you know? <laughs> like they're just <laughs> they're just like barflies who no one talks to ever, and they're just like desperate for human contact. And then I realized that like that's just who I am. I'm just a barfly <laughs> who's desperate for human contact, and no one will give it to me. Well, I was I was a little worried when you were laying out that description. I was like, are you are you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> I felt very seen there, Todd. Well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> well, now, you know, you've got the community here. We love to have you back. The staff at Waffle House will love to see you back. 
<laughs> um, you know, I went, I went to Waffle House today, man. Was, you know, they were all, yeah. you know, everyone there like remembered me, and even with my mask on, they like, you know, called me by my name and and everything. And it's just honestly, man, Roanoke is home, and I'm I'm really glad to be back. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, we, you and Callie are going to be moving into another house soon, which is sweet. I can't wait for that to happen, mainly because of the hot tub. Yeah, I mean, yeah, hot tubs rule. I uh, yeah I have I'm not sure if I've ranted at some point if this has ever come up but I'm not sure if most people understand how much I love hot tubs. Some people I know understand. My college friends all understand because anytime we try to get together, you know, we usually just like rent a big house and my criteria is does it have a hot tub? Like if we're voting between two different places and one has a hot tub and one doesn't, I vote for the hot tub place. Are you just like a soup guy? Like you like making people soup and then or do you drink the people soup? Is that why you like hot tubs? That sounds horrible. Oh. Uh, well, like, what's, you know, what's your deal? I just find them very relaxing and enjoyable. Okay. Well, like, you're not supposed to be in there for that long, and they're not, like, everywhere. Yeah, I, I understand I they're not understand, everywhere. I don't understand so I don't, how you got so attached to the hot tubs. I don't, well, a lot of it is from traveling to magic tournaments and staying in hotels with them. <sighs> okay. So, like, the end of 12 hours of playing magic and you get back to the hotel and you sit oh, yeah. in the hot tub for half an hour to an hour. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've done that know. with you multiple times. Like, I get yeah. it, it's great, but, like, I don't, you know, I don't go on my own podcast or whatever and just, like, talk about how fucking great hot tubs are, dude. <laughs> Well, clearly you haven't listened to a lot of NTG rants because all we do is talk about random shit. And then eventually we say like, oh, crap, I guess we should talk about magic at some point. And then we talk about magic. So instead, we're going to talk about hot tubs because hot tubs are awesome. Oh, I thought that was a great transitionary point to start talking about magic stuff. Mm. Yeah, we we introduced you. I I guess we can get into the magic part now. This well, is, I just the, thought it was intentional. I thought you were doing like a really nice pivot, but honestly, now I see you were just very ready to talk about hot tubs for another fifteen minutes. Yes, to start, to start the show, and it's like, <laughs> dude, what else can you say? It's hot water, the bubbles, and you sit in it when you're, you know, you know, I'm gonna have one, and you're gonna come over and sit in it. You know, it's great. Yeah, a lot. Okay, yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I again, I'm not sure if you understand how much I like hot tubs. Okay. Well, you you will soon, though. You will soon. Okay, so uh, we are recording this on a Thursday evening, and we delayed recording by a few minutes so that both Todd and I could watch the official Magic stream because they were doing a sort of announcement stream, which I guess they do now because they've done they do this regularly. I guess this is the first one I've actually like sat down and watched. Um, normally, oh, dude, just... the one for a Caldheim was rad. They had just like. Uh, a band like shredded metal like in the background a lot and they played like custom made songs for the magic set it was rad i remember uh when they first started call time previews they did remember they did metal week and they had like a metal band like you know reveal do a preview and, and stuff like that that was a week that rob was not uh around it or couldn't do verses for whatever reason so we had a guest a director and both Corey and i were just like man of all the weeks for rob to miss <laughs> he has to miss metal week uh this one you know not so themed uh, sort of letting us know i guess a little bit about the the D set which is uh adventures in the forgotten realms but the the headliner really was modern horizons 2 which is being released soon and you know obviously has a ton of anticipation because of how important Modern Horizons 1 was. And uh, honestly, as far as like the initial teaser, 
you know, didn't really disappoint. Oh, no, they hit it on the head. They, they showed us, like, some reprints that are money. They have, like, some cool borders, which we'll get into in, in a minute. But also just, like, showed us some new cars that kind of look rad and, and, like, one that's just completely egregiously overpowered and will immediately, immediately be restricted in vintage. Just immediately. Okay, okay. Uh, not, sh- I, I guess I know, ah. Oh, well, you know. You I'm know. not sure which one you're talking about. It's, it's one of two, but, um, we'll, we'll, we'll build to that. We'll build to it. So the, the first thing for Modern Horizons 2 that they got to was obviously Fetchlands, because when it comes to Modern, it's all about Fetchlands. Uh, and they're going to have the Zendikar Fetchlands in the set, uh, you know, the enemy colored ones. But more importantly, they're going to be released also with old borders, a la Time Spiral Remastered, which I guess a lot of the cards in the set are going to be. Essentially, Watsy knew that they, you know, had free money sitting there with Time Spiral Remastered. And even, you know, before they got to see the reaction to them, they figured, yeah, this is going to be in all the other sets, too. So I expect yeah. to see a lot more of this moving forward. The old border stuff, like, honestly... You know, I I don't want to sound like a, a magic boomer, but I'm gonna. <laughs> um, old border significantly better than the new border in general. The only reason they switched the new border is so they could do some stupid watermark thing to prevent counterfeiting, right? And uh, old cardstock obviously a bit stronger than new cardstock, and like anything that reminds me of old school magic is a, a definite plus in my book. Like I if I play. With Fetchlands, they will have old borders, if you know what I mean. And the new ones, you know, they, they look really, really great. The Air Mesa is probably the one I'm, I'm going to play with the most, just because I've been, like, on a super burn kick lately. But I am definitely going to get my hands on some of these. You're just morphing into Patrick Sullivan in your old age? Dude, I, I posted on Twitter a while back. Is Every time I write an article now, I just pretend that I'm peacefully in how I talk. And so it just has made the quality of my articles increase dramatically. Do, do you know what I appreciate most about Patrick's for, like further forays into content for SCG? Hmm. It, it's his open and not even veiled contempt for his own audience. I love oh, yeah. it. Oh yeah, it's big, great. Big, big like big dummies. Everyone yeah, big dummies. Everyone else is like pandering to their audience at all costs. You know, trying to ingratiate themselves at every turn. And Patrick's just like, no, I fucking hate you. I don't give a shit if you listen to this. But if you do, here's the plugs that SCG makes me do. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. Uh, so uh, you know, I'm I'm with you too on old border fetchlands or old border anything really. Um, the old border is just better. It was. You know, I, that was sort of my first, like, the sky is falling event in my magic history when they changed the border and everyone at my LGS was like, oh, my God, magic is going to die. I can't believe they're doing this. They're ruining all the cards. And then they all kept playing and nothing happened. Um, but now the thing about this for me is it feels like um, the recent trend that has happened in the NBA as well, where every team just has like nine different jerseys now so that they can sell nine different forms of all these jerseys and the hardcore fans will buy, like, all of them. Yep. Uh, now there's just, like, 17 different borders for everything. There's, like, the spellbook borders and the old borders, retro borders, and the extended art borders, and the, I don't know, I, 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 you just can't keep track of them all. Uh, yeah, so you know, I got some thoughts on this. Go for it. Rant away. All right, so... Uh, as someone who regularly does casting for Magic the Gathering, 
Um, whenever someone plays a card that I have never seen before, uh, not only is it somewhat jarring, but it's also just kind of annoying because I can't explain to the audience what that thing is. <laughs> and the this is more of like when they make supplemental products or commander stuff and then, then those kind of cards kind of dip into legacy and whatnot. It's not that I don't know what the card does. It's that I can't associate what is pictured on the card that is physically being played with the card itself because the art is so drastically different than the original or it's just not widely enough known or played that even I, someone who's been playing Magic for over 20 years and has like so much experience like just interacting with magic cards just can't tell you the viewer what that thing is and i i don't really know what to do about it because they like you said they, every single set that comes out now it's just uh you know old bordered uh alternate art full art no borders and and this is every set and sometimes there's even like cards that are the same card with a different name like the godzilla cards oh like, that oh. that one really got me yeah, like, I don't know which Godzilla it is. You know, I don't know <laughs> yeah. which Godzilla corresponds to which card or whatever. Like, I, you know, yeah. like, I, I get it. It's fun. It's cool. Like, for collectability purposes, I, you know. But when it comes to competitive magic, I, I can't stand it. And and I just, like, want to know what the cards do without having to read every single one in front of my face. And the, the way that that is supposed to happen is you associate the art with the text and when you can no longer do that playing actual magic becomes significantly harder yeah you know so that makes a, a pretty clear dividing line between you know just changing a border to releasing all of these alternate versions of things right. i really did not like the the godzilla card thing because the name changed at the top you know so for a while, it like made it harder for me to learn the names of those cards because half the time I would see a card that just had fucking Baby Godzilla on it, and I was like, "What the fuck is Baby Godzilla?" Because that's not the name of the card that I need to put on a deck list when I try to you know play versus next Tuesday. Uh, and Corey had the same issue. I think for two weeks he kept putting um, the the perfect pet, which is the Sprite Dragon. He just kept putting the Godzilla name down. I'm just like Corey, that that's that's not that one. <laughs> I feel like they should have, like, for those specifically, maybe they should have just allowed you to put either one, like, just as a, so no one gets a deckless penalty for writing down the wrong one or whatever, but that's, you know, that's like a complaint for a different time, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so the uh, first sort of, I guess, new card to modern, right, because uh, this is the Biobox promo? after the the fetch lands that were announced and that is going to be sanctum prelate which was initially part of some supplementary product probably commander something definitely seems like a commander card um, i believe sanctum prelate specifically was conspiracy sure same thing as far as i'm concerned sure <laughs> yeah no, i mean like yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they've made excellent cards in the supplementary products for like legacy and for forever i've wanted just like a bunch of them to be put into modern and sanctum prelate being put into modern through the buy box promo for modern horizons 2 is awesome awesome sure um i'm not exactly sure like where it fits into modern i don't know uh, like any white weenie deck you know, just like any the, of them. Just read the card is insane. Is it that insane? Like it's a fucking tutu. Oh my god! Is it a human? Mm, it's a human. It? it goes in humans. Okay. What are you it talking being, about? It being a human, 
is a big thing. I agree it's just with that. Like it's just metally made for like a casting cost or whatever. It costs one more mana. I get it. But like you know, you're talking about a, a card that sees a lot of play in Legacy, and you can't you don't think they'll find a home for it in Modern and arguably more degenerate format because there's not actual Forts of Will. Um, I'm not sure I would call Modern a more degenerate format because of the lack of force of will especially re like in the last couple of years yeah, modern has gotten really fair i will that's say true, that's true. this card does seem like it should be very good against prowess decks right like you're going to be able to play sanctum prelate say one and they're not going to do a whole lot oh they're dead they have to have bone crusher giant if they're playing that if they're playing the obosh version or they have to have like i don't know um uh dismember like they're gonna to start playing dismember again or something yeah I don't know. and i'm a big fan of curbing the power of these prowess decks because i'm kind of sick of them oh yeah i mean there comes a point in every format where just like there is every effect that you want there's multiple copies at one mana and prowess is just the epitome of that and so like yeah more Chalice of the Void type things that specifically hammer decks that only have one drops or whatever, I'm definitely a fan yeah. of. But there's even, there on top of it, you know, on top of Chalice of the Void, this just stops them from even casting the spells so they can't get prowess triggers. So you can actually attack with Sanctum Prelate sometimes into their one twos. Uh, you, you might not want to do that in the face of Mana Morphos if they have two mana open. Uh, but, it, you know, if they only have one mana open, the you know, even things like Mutagenic Growth that are sort of zeros or Lava Darts in the Graveyard just can't even be cast. So, uh, you know, if we get more Death and Taxes in Modern and less Prowess in Modern, I'll be very happy. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the the dynamic of having a deck like the Death and Taxes style strategies in the format because they um, kind of sit in this in-between place between, like, hyper-aggressive and control and mid-range. Like, they're just, like, somewhere in between. And they specifically punish types of decks and they don't really punish whole archetypes that much it's more like if your deck is full of cheap cards you know thalia is gonna wreck you sanctum prel is gonna wreck you and you know they even have like the uh the mother uh, the mother of runes adjacent thing whatever it's called giver of runes giver of runes yeah and so like they have you know ways to protect it and they can they can even go hard into that like lean into it really heavily and play more ways to protect those types of cards too um, you know, you could even maybe go a little harder on the threes now that the new Paula Vitor card is seeing a lot of play and maybe go collect a company and like Sanctum Prelate can be a part of the collect company package. But I think that it being a human is just going to be an extremely big deal, even if it's just like a sideboard card, like it's just going to be extremely good in yeah. any Ether Vile deck. It, it being a human it is a big deal. And honestly, like just reading Sanctum Prelate. I would assume that it's like a cleric, but not sure. But they also made it a human. Um, and I can imagine like prowess decks trying to main deck, you know, Bone Crusher Giant or some other two mana, three mana removal spell like Dismember to handle Sanctum Prelate and you just having Meddling Mage into this and locking them out. Uh, or, or and, and honestly, like that could just be your turn three, right? If you have a turn one vile draw. You know, you play some stuff, they interact with you, they get you down to 12, and on turn three, you just go prelate on one, violin my meddling mage, or, you know, in whatever order makes sense, uh, and sort of lock them out of the game. 
Yeah, I mean, anyone who's played Death and Taxes and Modern knows that something's missing, and the new Paulo card and Sanctum Prelate are two just excellent additions, and you can kind of pick and choose now. I mean, we have, like, the cool Flicker Wisp engines that work in the, in the archetype, and, like, now you're just getting more of those legacy-style cards. A lot of the legacy-style cards that actually make the deck what it really is, which is just this combination of lock pieces that once you get two or three cranked into place, your opponent's not going anywhere. I also like that Prelate stops Supreme Verdict, which is one of my least favorite cards of all time. I really wish they would uh, just remove Supreme Verdict from existence. I, every time someone gets spell pierced in Historic or whatever, when they go for Wrath of God, it just makes me never want to play Pioneer again. You know? Yeah, it just gives me life. Like, yeah. uh, there's nothing I want to do more in Magic than to just put three creatures on the battlefield, counter my opponent's Sweeper because they dawdled and did nothing for three turns, and kill that. Yeah, but you also want days in, in Modern, so, like, you you know, your opinion doesn't really matter as much. You don't want days in Modern Horizons? It's not that I don't want it. It's that it shouldn't be there. <laughs> Go elaborate, please. Um, okay, so you know how in Legacy, uh, days is completely and utterly fucked up? It is it? Like, it's very good. Come on, man. But it's not, but like there are decks against which Days is not particularly good, and you board them out on the draw a lot, even in matchups where they are pretty good. Like, I agreed, it, it, it's a very, is it a top 10 card in the Legacy format right now? I mean, does it have to be a top 10 card in Legacy to warrant not being put in a modern? Like, is that the no, bar? No. But, but if you're going to say it's, it's, if you're acting like it being busted is a sort of obvious fact, like it's axiomatic, that, that's, we're starting there. I don't Okay. Um all right. So I'll I'll just say this. I think Delver of Secrets is like occasionally okay in modern when Loris was full powered, it was just egregious and now it's kind of in this weird balancing act where it's like okay but not overbearing. And like if Days is in the format, Delver may become the best creature in the format. And I think whenever a card gets put into a new format that like can single-handedly warp the format in that way is too good. And as someone who's played with Days literally thousands of times or whatever, it's you, you can't put that card in modern. Th man. That's one. That's a style of deck that has been missing from modern basically since its existence. You know, there was the Jeskai Delver deck very, very early on before we really understood modern at all, right? The one with guys to St. Draft and Step Links and shit. Um. But like since since we really delved into modern and figured things out about the format, like Delver of Secrets has not been a particularly good card, and that kind of aggressive disruptive strategy or aggression plus reactive disruption has not been a good pairing. Um, and the, you know I think those styles of decks are very interesting and fun to play personally, and have not existed in the format. So I'd like to see them have a chance at existing. And Days is the kind of card that has a chance at, at doing that, because it's very powerful, of course. I'm also just sick and fucking tired of watching people slam five mana spells, because that's what magic has become over the last four years. Like, I hate Niv-Mizzet. I'm just, just really, like, it's a gigantic flyer that somehow draws you, like, four awesome cards, and your mana is still perfect somehow, because you're a mid-range deck. Like, so I don't know when they decided to make mana egregious for aggro decks, but perfect if you could just play a tap land on turn one. But it really pisses me off. So I just want to punish these people that think it's okay to play ETB tap lands. Okay, I mean, that's fair. Like, 
you know, Delver style decks have always been pretty good against control strategies. That's kind of and, and combo decks, and that's kind of where they they fit on on the scale. But they're they're rather weak against like burn or zoo or other like low to the yeah. ground. Like they would not be very decks. good against prowess, right? No, they'd you, you... be atrocious. You get slaughtered because so... they, they're basically the same deck except you have a bunch of reactive garbage, and they have seventeen lava spikes, so <laughs> you can't you can't compete. Yeah. Um, so, so that's like, an interesting problem to try to figure out a, a tempo deck that can compete, even though Prowess is among the most popular and successful decks in the metagame. Yeah, but I also think that if you gave them days, they would never lose ever again <laughs> to, to anything. Like yeah. I don't know. I think you're overrating days a little bit. I think the card is really, really good, um, but I, I, I don't think it would, you know, automatically make Delver decks the best thing in modern. I think it would make them competitive. I mean, okay. We can agree to disagree. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, next up is the. Uh, I'm gonna go to the last uh, old reprint. I don't think this is the order they did them on the stream, but this this is the order we're gonna do them in, and that is a card that people have been clamoring for in modern for years now, and I think they're gonna all end up really disappointed. Uh, and that is counterspell. Yeah, counterspell sucks, man. Yeah, like it's it's is a counterspell that much better than logic knot? It's not. That's what I'm saying. Counterspell is yeah. not like it's like for for all of my reservations for days and not wanting that in the format. Counterspell is nothing. Counterspell is maybe worse than Mana Leak because it's harder to cast. Counterspell is uh, the same as Logic Knot because your graveyard doesn't matter in a lot of those decks. And frankly, like we tested Counterspell whenever they announced Modern Horizons ones. If you recall, we had decks, multiple decks with Counterspell in it on Versus Live, and it was just like fine. Like, it's usually trading down on mana because you're countering, like, a one-mana spell a lot of times. And, like, in a format like Modern or Legacy or whatever, when the, the average casting cost is less than two, like, Counterspell is not good. And so, like, them putting in the format is just them finally understanding that it's just, like, it's just fine. I think Counterspell would have been pretty good to very good in Modern, like, five or six years ago. Oh, yeah. Maybe. You know, when, when like, Splinter Twin's the best deck and, like, you get to play this completely reactive combo and, like, your opponent taps out and they die, but also if they do something scary, you just have actual factual counterspell. Yeah, like, in that scenario, it might be too good. Or it might be, like, extremely good. But in the world we live in, like, you know, there's a million decks that all cost one mana, and so counterspell is just not great. You know what I, you know what I hope happens to everyone who just... Uh, like takes their two or three logic knots out of their control deck and puts in counter spells and is like, this is great. My deck's going to get so much better. You know what I hope happens to them the very first game they play? What? I hope their counter spell gets spell snared. <laughs> <laughs> and they just lose. <laughs> the game just ends. Though it's like, oh, I do like that dynamic. I think giving spell snare a little more juice is nice, but I'll say this. Counter spells are only as good as the things you're countering. And usually a counterspell's value is completely derived from how it interacts with casting cost spells that cost more than it costs. And like something like Force Negation is almost always going to be good because Force Negation costs zero. It costs a card. It's a tempo counterspell. Uh, counterspell itself costs two mana. And if you're countering a spell that costs three or greater, it's excellent. But the average casting cost of of decks in 
modern is not very high. And yeah, you'll get the occasional collect a company, you'll counter a three drop, maybe your opponent's playing from Evil Titan or whatever. But you know what else is going to happen? Cavernous Soul is going to come back in an extremely big way. And if you're a deck that's all counter spells, you're going to get fucking dumpstered. Yeah, you know, Counterspell is not a card that is going to create new archetypes that's going to make reactive control decks significantly better. It's I, I I think it's an upgrade on Logic Knot, but I think it is a very minor upgrade on Logic Knot. And that's basically what the card is. Like, maybe it's an upgrade on Mana Leak in certain decks, you know. The, the blue decks tend to be more blue-heavy these days because of Archmage's Charm. So that makes Counterspell better relative to Mana Leak anyway. Yeah, but fetching a basic mountain or basic planes in your just guy deck is just like has a lot of value because you have mana leak and you don't want to take, or because you have lightning helix and you just don't want to take a thousand damage yeah. every game from your lands. Well, these days they just fetch a triome on turn one and then their mana's perfect. I mean that's fair. Your mana's perfect if you can play a tap land on turn one. That's how magic works in twenty twenty one. And if you can't play a tap land, then you play one color. Okay, that's our rant about counterspell. I think uh, you know I. There's honestly just not very much to say about the card because it's not particularly, uh, um, you know, exciting. I wish I cared more, right? Like, I, I, wish, I wish that, uh, like, if Counterspell had come out two years ago, I'd have been like, awesome. This is something that I think it belongs in the format. You know, I think it's it's going to be, in general, it's going to be, like, a pretty strong card. But now it's like, I, that, that boat, that ship has sailed for me, right? Like, Counterspell is no longer exciting because countering things is not exciting and and like i just i've gotten burned too many times playing with remand you know like remand like i said like you know if it's interacting with something that costs the same or more than it it's excellent but like when remand is bad like counterspell cannot be good <laughs> yeah and like the counterspells that you're seeing seeing significant play are ones that have other utility. You know, Archmage's Charm, when you need to find a removal, is a card draw spell. Or sometimes it removes, you know, remo- actually is a good removal spell. You know, Cryptic Command can interact with the battlefield in addition to being a counter spell. So these are cards that are not dead once you've fallen behind. They still do other things. Uh, whereas, like, two mana straight counter spell is like, that's a role play in your deck. You're playing, you know, two, three, max four of that kind of card in certain decks. You know, I think the Bring to Light deck plays Remand right now. Um, and they're going to continue to play Remand because their mana base can't support Counterspell on turn two. They're playing fucking Valakit in their five-color deck. Yeah, <laughs> so, also, and they also only want to stall. They're not trying yeah. to, like, actually prevent a problem. They're just trying to buy time. Yeah, so, you know, Counterspell is, like, you know, fits into a pretty narrow range of decks. It's not that exciting. I, I really wish they had put this into Modern, like, four years ago. It would have been interesting and fun then. And now it's just meh. Uh, so there's three uh, previews from MH2 that are new cards, uh, and since you're the guest host, Todd, you know which one do you want to go through first? Do you know? Do you know the names? I know the names of one of them. So there's there's Brainstone, there's Diamond Lion, and there's Urza Saga. Oh, there's also Tiamat. Oh no, that's we're that's from sorry, the that's from the D&D one. Yeah. I, okay. We'll get to All that, Todd. We'll get. To, okay, we'll get to let's it. let's start with the 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 kooky ones let's start with brainstone and diamond line okay so this is you know if we remember modern horizons one they did a lot of these sort of callback cards that you know uh obviously like they can't put brainstorm and lion's eye diamond into modern that would be messed up uh but they're giving us these callbacks to them uh brainstone is a one mana artifact it says two tap sacrifice essentially brainstorm you know draw three cards put two back on top in any order. Uh, so 
sort of a three mana brainstorm kind of. Um, you know, this to me is like a, a fine, like turn one play in a slower deck. And then later in the game, like you cash it in, um, you know, brainstorm is a pretty powerful effect. We know how powerful it is with fetch lands. Is this one, you know, because of its versatility, you know, this is a brainstorm that you can put into like, you know, uh, mono, like in a mono red deck, if you wanted to, like, uh, it's also a brainstorm you can find off of trinket mage, but the days of trinket mage are long gone. <laughs> Uh, so, but, uh, you know, this is the one that to me is like, is honestly kind of most puzzling. Like, I'm not sure exactly how powerful it is. If you, you know, gun to my head, I would say probably not playable, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm underrating it. Yeah, I, I think it's not good, but I think it's like intentionally not good for constructed. I think it's like specifically a call back to another magic card or whatever, and it's mostly there for limited play. Like, it's not rare, it's not mythic rare or whatever, it's just like brainstone. You know, and so like I think that it's gonna have some like cool play in limited where you you know you get to draft like a fetch land or a fable passage or whatever, and it's just like okay I get like some cool value out of this artifact, and also I have some little artifact synergies, and so like it sits in play, accrues some artifact synergies, and then later in the game it's like okay pop it, get rid of these two lands, draw some fresh cards, shuffle them away. Um, but like it costs three mana, it's not good. I do, I want the card, I hope the card sees some, like, niche play, where it being an artifact is relevant, um, where you get to, you know, develop some of those synergies, and you're interested in that kind of brainstorming effect, like, just like a one-of in that, in something like that. I don't really know exactly what, you know, maybe, it's, like, kind of cool with Urza, because Urza is a built-in shuffle effect for it, and it's a cheap artifact, and Urza gives you a lot of extra mana, and this is, you know, a good thing to sink your mana into, so, like, maybe in an Urza deck... Yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm 100% fine being wrong on this card being, like, good or maybe even, like, too good or whatever because all cheap artifacts have value outside of what they actually do because there are so many cards that care about artifacts. And I know Mox Opal's banned, but Mox Opal was, like, a huge factor in why a lot of these kind of do-nothing artifacts that cycled or turned into something else later ended up being, like, too good. Like, Arkham's Astrolabe should not be, like, that good, but the fact that it's, like, so cheap replaces itself had value with mox opal had value with urza and you know like it's it's just like that combined with its intentional effect of fixing your mana all that combined was just a little too good and like you know you you get into stuff like brain zone you said yeah maybe it maybe it ends up being great with urza maybe the urza decks end up playing four because it's just a one mana artifact that has like a really desirable ability as the game goes and all you give a crap in the about in the first few turns is the fact that you just play an artifact because that body of an artifact has so much value attached to it with all your other stuff yeah like you know how how well does this card compare to something like chromatic star i like it it, there's some opportunity cost here because it's an effect that you're spending mana on. Chromatic Star, you're basically just spending the one to cast it. Uh, and at that point, just, you know, turning it into another card later on, essentially for free. Um, so, I, you know, I kind of hope to see this a little bit because I want to, I like brainstorming with Fetchlands. I think it's really skill intensive and fun to do. It's not nearly as fun when it happens seven times a game. <laughs> so I'd like to see this in very small doses but I'm not super high on it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm same boat. Like, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being a four of an Urza deck. But at the same time, like, I don't think it, it's going to be, like, ubiquitous among decks that play fetch lands or anything weird like that. 
And that's usually the thing you're scared of most when you're designing cards, is you're, you're scared of a card becoming ubiquitous across multiple archetypes in multiple formats because it's too strong. And I, I don't think that's the case here. I think it'll find a home. I don't think it'll be too good. Okay. Next up is Diamond Lion. Uh, as I said earlier, a callback to Lion's Eye Diamond. So this is a two-mana, two-two artifact creature cat. And it says, tap, discard your hand, sacrifice li- Diamond Lion, add three mana of any color, of any one color, activate only as an instant. I've First things first, when they first previewed the card, for some reason I thought it also cost two to activate. It does not. It's just essentially Lion's Eye Diamond, but you can't use it immediately because it has to tap. So unless you somehow give the, the Diamond Lion haste, you're you know playing a Grizzly Bear, praying to God that your opponent has no way to interact with it, and then you get to untap and get a Lion's Eye Diamond. Yeah, it takes a lot of work to make Lion's Eye Diamond good, though. Like, I think the, the one of the reasons why it was always so powerful is because it costs zero. And you had to find, like, a way to make that burst of mana good with something that's already on the battlefield. Or, at the very least, like, combine it with some sort of tutor effect like they did in the Ad Nauseam Tendrils decks. But when it comes to, like, constructed play, Diamond Lion, like, not doing anything to turn it enters the battlefield... Uh, okay, like let let me, let me just like restructure this card, right? And like a a completely messed up version is would be like Lotus Lion or whatever, right? Like two mana, two two, has so many sickness, but like you tap sack, you get three mana of any color. That would be on the scale of like re- like too good, but like having to discard your hand is a significant cost for Lion's Eye Diamond and now for Diamond Lion, and I think that. In modern specifically, trying to find a way to abuse it is going to be very difficult because you have the hoop of discarding your hand, but also you have to untap with it. And I think that untapping with the mana engine thingy like that is already hard enough, but then when you add in the caveat of having to discard your hand and dance around and all that stuff, it's just like too much work. But it's still like a cool throwback. Completely agree. Uh, you know, I, I'm... A little bit interested to see if you could do something with Luris with it, right? You know, it's a two-drop for Luris, so it works with the companion. It gives you oh, a, like, cool. a good way to sync the mana. Uh, like, maybe there's something with Luris. Um, but, th- you know, even if you, if you, even when you say something like that, like, yeah, I think, you know, Diamond Lion Luris, there's a lot of synergy going on there. But is that better than just playing Luris with other good cards that also fit with Luris, right? Right. Uh, you know... That the, the diamond line is still holding the Luris back from from it being you know actualized, uh, but yeah you know to me both of these cards are, are in that mold like cool throwback, just not efficient enough to see play in modern in twenty twenty one. Now these are the two cards they previewed. Um, if you if you recall last time they previewed um, uh, Cabal Cabal Therapist, therapist and, and the, the, the Sarah, Sarah Planeswalker. Neither of which ended up being very good, right? But when you think about, like, the rest of the cards in the set that had huge throw, like, huge callback elements, like Urza, Lord High Artificer, um, you know, and a number of other things. Give like those, yeah, and, like, those cards all ended up being great. And so, like, this is basically just a preview of things that, like, we could get. And just because I am not a huge fan of, like, Diamond Lion and its potential in Modern doesn't mean that there's not going to be just, like, you know, 25 other callback cards like this that are all great. Yeah, no, the, you know, obviously way too early to make any sort of judgment about the, the set as a whole. Um, 
So, you know, just individually, these two cards don't seem great. There's some, you know, we there's some cool things that, like, you know, might work out. We'll probably try some out on Versus Live, right? Uh, and see what see what happens. Uh, and maybe we come away surprised. But as is, you know, just not not up to par. Like, Modern is really powerful. <laughs> yeah, but there there is one more card that I am confident we'll see a significant amount of play in Modern. Yeah, uh, and this is a really, this is a cool card to me. Like, this is a just a, a fun design, uh, and that's Urza's Saga. Uh, I'm a little bit annoyed that this is the name, and so it's just the same name as a set. Um, not really a big fan of that, but it is I'm what it is. I'm a fan of that. I want them to do that with every set. I would love to have a set of, of these Saga cards that are literally just one for every single set that's ever been printed. I think that would be rad. Sure. Um, I, I, I mean, literally just the, the name. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> just Oh, the fact that it's like a saga and it's called Urza Saga? Yeah. I, no, yeah, it, okay. it, well, yeah. Uh, it's also kind of a lazy name, right? It's just... It, very little about it sits right with me, but that's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll get over it. <laughs> so this is an enchantment land. Already weird. Um... And it's a it's a saga. Chapter one is Urza Saga gains tap ad colorless. And importantly, this is not gains until end of turn. So it's effectively a colorless land, um, though it is a triggered ability. So if you have a, a disenchant effect, you can disenchant this with the trigger on the stack and effectively stop them from getting a land. Uh, so that's that's just a weird way to interact with lands. I mean, as some as someone who cast Viridian Shaman and blew up Seed of the Synod, like, you know, at least dozen hundred times or whatever, uh, it's real. Like, your opponents are gonna just randomly yeah. have, you know, various disenchants and stuff, and there's gonna be a turn where you play Urza Saga and you go to tap for mana, and your opponent's gonna say, "Trigger on the stack, <laughs> kill that," and you're just gonna throw open your mouth a little. Yeah, you know? they're, like, they're gonna, gonna, gonna give gonna you happen. the old Dikembe Mutombo finger wag, like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> So, in general, you know, most of the time this is just going to be a colorless land. That's chapter one, right? Chapter two, Urza Saga gains two tap, create a zero zero colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. So the same construct that Urza makes. Uh, and notably, it is two tap. So if Urza Saga is your first land. Chapter two, you're not going to be activating it without some, you know, additional source of mana, like a mox of some kind. Uh, but when it comes to modern, that kind of stuff is now pretty hard to come by with mox, opal, and simian spirit guide out of the metagame. I guess, uh, like, uh, and this is a colorless land, so you can't go, like, mana creature with this turn one, turn two, make a token. Um, but if it's your second land, then turn three, you know, you get to make a construct token. Which is honestly kind of cool. Like first two turns, you spend playing some artifacts. You know, now for you know this just comes along for free with your land. You're going to get like a three three that is going to grow with the course of the game. Pretty neat. No, super cool. Then chapter three. Search your library for an artifact card with mana cost zero or one. Put it onto the battlefield. Then shuffle. Now, importantly, two things. This is a saga, so the land is going to go away after chapter three, and it, yeah. with, which means with this trigger on the stack, you can activate level two again if you have nothing to do with the mana. 
Yep. So you can activate level two again, or you can tap it for mana, though that's a little awkward in your... Uh, no, although so this happens in your main your, phase. It does so happen you, in your main phase. So you so can, you can float, float it, the mana float through. Mana, or you can activate it and make a construct in response to the third chapter. Yep. And the other important part about this is it says mana cost zero or one, not mana value. So this is specifically uh, artifacts that cost zero or artifacts that cost a single colorless. It is not yes. Executioner's Capsule. Uh, it is not Seat of the Synod uh, or any artifact land. Dark Souls Citadel. Which yeah, is Dark Souls Citadel. I, I, was hope, I was hoping it could get Dark Souls Citadel, but it cannot. But the big thing, I actually talked to Aaron Forsyth on Twitter about this just to, to confirm. Um, the reason why they made it like this specifically is because of Lotus Bloom. They didn't want you to be able to go get Lotus Bloom super early, and so they made it specifically, instead of mana value, like converted mana cost, they made it have to be the exact casting cost in the top right corner is either zero or one. I mean, even even just getting Darkstill Citadel, like, now you've got a colorless land that potentially creates one or two construct tokens just for free, or you've got a colorless land that makes one construct token, and then you float a mana and get a Darkstill Citadel, and you're effectively ramped for a turn. So it's a it's a it's just a colorless land that adds multiple artifacts to the battlefield, adds a creature to the battlefield, and lotus petals you. Yeah, but they they made it so you can't get dark Souls Citadel. Yeah, and that's not even thinking about. Lo- I didn't even think about lotus bloom. I just thought about dark Souls citadel. I was like, yeah, that's too good. That makes sense. But getting lotus bloom that quickly that that would be messed up. Like you would just you would just kill people on turn three so often playing or like you would just ignore chapter two a lot of the time and just kill people on turn three. Like, how often in modern can you turn three someone if you're getting a Lotus Bloom, <laughs> like, on turn three, instead of you know, just suspending it up from your opening hand is turn four? Well, it's it's even better than that, right? Because it, it, the the bottom line is that it, it taps for mana for three straight turns if you needed to, right? Like, it's mana, mana, mana. And then if it could get Lotus Bloom also, it would just be, like, suspending Lotus Bloom, except from, from suspend, it could tap for mana. <laughs> 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 you know? But uh, but that, but it, it does not do that. It it literally just finds any zero or one uh, mana artifact, and uh, and yeah. I mean, there's probably some cool stuff to do with it. I know that in vintage, I I would guess that it's gonna get restricted on day one, and I wouldn't be surprised if they restricted it tomorrow or whatever. Now that it's out, like it's just egregious, dude. Yeah, just just finding black lotus on turn three. Yeah, finding Black Lotus, finding Mana Vault, but also it's free. It's just a colorless land for all the mud decks, and like you can get any of the zeros and ones that you want. Yeah. But- now, notably, you can't get like Chalice of the Void for zero. That's something important to note. Like you can't get X spells off of it. Yeah. So you can't really you can't get any lock pieces in that deck. It's really. Oh, but it might just generate its own combos and stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, you get Black Lotus. You know, you get Black Lotus or Mana Vault. Like, that's really, really. You, you good. can you can find Voltaic Key. Right. Or oh, they use a different one now, right? That's like Voltaic Key that has extra abilities, but. Um, yeah, they made another one that's yeah. better for no reason. But it's still it's still one. So yeah, there's definitely some things to find here. Um, yeah, you know, I I never think like, oh, this card's gonna be busted in Vintage because I never think about Vintage, but I can definitely see that. What do you think about in in modern? Like, what are we finding in modern with this card? Um, I I don't know, man. I think that uh, Brainstone and Urza Saga both kind of give me uh, some nightmares when it comes to Urza because just like Urza is such a powerful card, 
And I don't think it really matters what you get because it's just a land that can make a construct and then also tutors for whatever artifact you need at a given time. Like even if it's just go get Ether spell bombs so you don't die. Even if it's just go get pirate spell bombs so you can kill a creature. Um, but like in other scenarios, you know, you're gonna be able to go get like all sorts of cool stuff. It's it's just like a little tutor land, you know. And and they already play that, right? The the uh, the four sack In, go get Inventor's Fair. Card. Yeah, they already play Inventor's Fair a lot of times. So like, I don't know, man. I don't know where you're gonna go get. Someone smarter than me can figure it out. There's a million little See, zeros and he, ones that you can grab. Here here's here's the one that comes to my mind after thinking for a minute, and it, it's the the Dice Factory deck. You can get Surge Node. You can get Everflowing Chalice. If you need something to put mana onto, because that's a zero mana card with multi kicker, um, so that's a, that's a versatile. You can get the thing that puts charge counters onto something, or a thing that wants charge counters put onto it. So I, I always like when my tutor package can sort of find both halves, or or all all the parts, and that that's you know. So the fact that it finds both parts is cool. That's a deck that could just use like kill people by making those construct tokens, and might give the deck another angle. Um, yeah, no, th this card is is really cool. I I I like the design a lot. So understandably, when it's like a cool, unique design, they kind of push the power level, right? Isn't that that at this point we should come to expect that? So yeah, it'll be nice to see what uh what people come up with for this card in the in the coming weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just one guy. You know, if, <laughs> if a mil if a million people are looking at a card, there's gonna be one guy at least who's way smarter than me who's like, okay, here's the perfect Urza. Urza Saga decklist and it has all these cool one ofs to go get and they all have their own functionality and they're great. Don't sell yourself short, Todd. Oh, I'm a genius. I know that. <laughs> okay, don't sell but... yourself long, Todd. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, so th those are the uh, Modern Horizons 2 previews that came out of um, this whole thing today. Um, then there were a couple other announcements. Um, there's Adventures in the Forgotten Realms previews, and there's also the announcement next week of Historic Anthology 5. Or I guess in a, in a couple weeks. It's May 27th that that one's getting released. Um, but time is an illusion, so who cares? Uh, and so they're, you know, just continuing to add random cards to Historic, like, without really any rhyme or reason. I would kind of like, like, for every one of these small sets, like, it's only 25 cards, right? Like, can't they give us sort of, like, a brief little snippet of, like, why they wanted to add each card? I mean, they could, but then, if we thought they were wrong, we'd yell at them. <laughs> and so, why would they do that when they can just spew a bunch of cards into the ether and just let us play with them instead, you know? I, I guess. Um... I, I mean, I don't know what you want, man. I, I actually thought that the Mystical Archive stuff, all the cards they put in there and the, that they're seeing playing Historic, I think are all awesome. Like, Inquisition of Kozilek, even Brainstorm, as much as, like, it's potentially too good or whatever. Abundant Harvest, even though it doesn't even exist yet, you know? Like, now <laughs> it's like... Like, I don't, you know, I, I don't really care why you know blake rasmussen chose these cards for historic specifically but you know what i do like is being able to attack with a dreadhorde arcanist and then cast abundant harvest that is extremely okay. my jam i'm with you there i'm with you there but i at this point i like i'm with everyone where i think historic is just going to end up replacing pioneer out of necessity because people are invested in historic and not in pioneer or the two are going to end up converging and, and sort of merging into one format 
which is basically just Pioneer being absorbed by Historic, right? Um, so, I, and I, I think, I just want to get more of an idea of what, whether or not that's Watsi's vision for Historic or not. And I just don't think they're going to tell me, and I'm going to sit and remain curious. I don't think they know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's like, true. One thing that I keep realizing is as I get older and I keep like engaging in more communities and gaming industry stuff, like people are just kind of making their best guess most of the time and they kind of have like an idea of where they want to go, except for the guys who are making the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Those guys (laughs) have planned so far in advance for so long. They, I feel like one of them's got to be a time traveler and he's reverse engineering or whatever. <laughs> but outside of that, I think just as far as like magic is concerned, like, you know, they, they do the best they can with the people that they have and the resources that they have and slowly over time kind of, pr- you know, prune and snip at the magic bush. And hopefully it eventually becomes like the bonsai tree that they actually really like, you know, but they don't know when they start what it's supposed to look like and they figure out what it looks like as they prune and snip. And I think just releasing 25 or 50 or whatever cool cards into the format every once in a while into historic, it's like, okay, are some of these too powerful? If they are, okay, we'll ban them. And then if not though, you have like five new decks that people have to spend a hundred dollars on. And then you just get a hundred thousand dollars for free. You know, it's like, it's just a, it's a money engine, you know? And they're just, you know, that's, they're just trying to make a bunch of money, and they're doing a great job of doing exactly that. They are certainly doing a good job of that. Um, so, but you know, I'm I'm less concerned with their bottom line and more concerned with how competitive play is going to look in a year. Okay, well, what what are your concerns? I may be able to alleviate some of them. I mean, when so you know we're getting back to paper magic starting this month, uh, uh, you know, and presumably. You know, if, if they're going to allow local events, we're probably going to have big events by the end of the year, I would assume. Right? Yeah, I don't know what the restrictions are just yet, but they did announce that in the U.S. specifically, they're going to be allowing sanctioned tournaments to be run at the end of May. Uh, I have not delved into the exact specifications. Like, is it like X number of people below? Is it like people need to be vaccinated or need to wear masks? I don't know any of that. I'm just saying, <clears throat> as in general, we're on the course to have live magic back very soon. And I am extremely excited about that. So, you know, I, and I assume at least from their side of things that modern and standard are going to receive significant support. These are, you know, flagship formats for them, but then the two curveballs or the two sort of up in the air formats are historic and pioneer, you know, pioneer was going to, was their new baby. And then COVID hit and they, you know, didn't want to deal a lot with Magic Online. They wanted everybody to play Arena. And so they pivoted away from Pioneer and towards Historic. Well, that's had some ripple effects over the last year and a half where there's very little interest right now in Pioneer to the point where we rebranded this entire podcast, uh, you know, because uh, Pioneer was, was so unpopular. And there's been a lot more, you know, popularity in Historic. And the format has, you know, gained followers because people have, you know, essentially been forced to play it if you want to compete at, at the highest levels of Magic. So when we get so back to it... can you answer like, your own question? Yeah, like it's... And I just, like, is that what's is that what's happening? Are we going to eventually... Like, I, I'd like to be able to play with some of the cards that were in Pioneer. I like Pioneer as a format. But if, you know, this is the way that we've been forced to go because of COVID... Are we at least building towards a future where every card that was legal in Pioneer is also going to be legal in Historic? I, th- I think so, but I'm not really sure. 
I mean, okay, so but that okay, so that's in my opinion, and this is obviously I have I have no insider information on any of this stuff. I think Pioneer's a dead format. I think that Pioneer in general just like uh they it's kinda like a garden that they forgot to tend and there was like too many combo decks for too long and it killed interest in the format. That they moved away from Magic Online as far as a lot of their support stuff is concerned towards Arena and they didn't have the resources to just port uh, Pioneer into Arena because there's too many cards that don't exist yet, right? So, so they they started they took this kind of like I don't know uh, light-handed approach where they're just going to slowly integrate older stuff into Historic and then eventually I think they're just going to dissolve Pioneer and there's going to be enough overlap from what Pioneer used to be to what Historic is now that you're still going to be able to play like most of your cards and most of your decks, but you also get to play Brainstorm and Abundant Harvest and all these like cool stuff like Muxus Goblin Grand D and the format has its own identity, but also you can still play with a lot of stuff that was in Pioneer. Now, are, is it going to be an exact replica? No. Why would they bother? Like, no one cares, you know? Like, I don't remember the last time I actually played Pioneer. I brewed some decks whenever a new set comes out because I, you know, that was like an audience that I catered to as well on my stream. But, like, no one gives a shit anymore, man. Like, it's a dead format. And so Historic had had this huge boost recently and so it makes a lot of sense why they would just kind of move all in on historic and just kind of ignore pioneer because everyone else has already done that yeah no i, I agree that's basically what happened i, I think it happened almost 100 percent as a consequence of covid and the shutdown of paper magic um oh yeah if star city games is running a pioneer tournament every other weekend and there's a you know five to twenty thousand eyes on the on the format every single weekend or whatever yeah it would add a lot more popularity maybe historic even get fails to get off the ground i don't know yeah but like but like the fact that you know historic is kind of this was kind of this placeholder for like rotated standard cards but now they're actually just constantly injecting new content in the format via jumpstart via new sets and also with like supplemental products and whatnot like there it's just gained its own identity and i don't think that like it's ever gonna undo itself like pine like historic is fun i have fun playing historic I don't really have a lot of fun playing Magic, you know, most of the time, unless I'm just, like, crushing tournaments or whatever. The last year of COVID has been a nightmare. I, I'm a, I am a husk of the man that I was. And I hope that at some point I get to play Historic in paper. And that's where I think it's going to go. I think that, you know, I'm, I don't have control over Cedric and Star City Games, but, like, I can make that suggestion to them at some point. But I think that, you know, like you guys playing on Versus Live, playing the real-life Historic decks... That seems like a very easy thing for Star City to kind of just adopt. You know, it's not like these cards don't exist in paper. They're harder to get in paper. But you know who sells those cards? Star City Games. Star City Games sells those cards, Ross. And so if Star City Games has a specific tour featuring Historic, and they can pump all this content out on Historic on their website, guess what? Everyone's happy and everyone gets to play the fun format that everyone loves. Yeah, uh, that's, you know... It's basically where it is. I, there's just going to be some lag time, I think, between, uh, you know, when some of the fun cards that I've enjoyed playing with in Pioneer, uh, when they get into Historic. Sure. Do you have a specific one or whatever? Like, is there some card that you're just like, oh, man, I really wish I could play that in Historic? I don't know. Not really. There it is. 
Historic is officially dead. Let's go. Or, sorry. <laughs> Pioneer is officially dead. Get it out of here. It's gone. I mean, I I, I love me a, a, a good and solar artifact, but that deck's not good in Pioneer and hasn't been for a year or so. Yeah, Even but, you know, they're, they're just going to print that eventually. Like, yeah. Historic, I, the, I, I don't know what the end goal is, but I feel like the end goal is kind of for Historic to just be legacy, you know, eventually. I mean, nothing's going to be... Modern is basically legacy right now. Like, that's just what okay. it is. We're getting we're getting too bu- muddled. It doesn't matter. <laughs> this is this is the podcast talk. This is how we do things. Yeah, uh, but if I was on the, if I look, I'm on this podcast today. I suffered no fools. All right. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's get back on track here and run down quickly the two cards they revealed from Historic Anthology Five, which are Vornklex Voice of Hunger. This is the OG Vornklex that sees a lot of commander play. Uh, so probably just a nod to getting, uh, you know, to those people. Um, although I guess, like, does it matter that these things are released digitally for Commander people? I don't know. Well, yeah, because now people can play Commander on Arena. Sure. Yeah, that's that's obviously going to happen the, eventually. The, the goal the goal is for like I think the goal eventually is to that, like I said when I when I was talking about their their goal is to make Historic eventually become Vintage or whatever. It's because. Eventually, they want to get every single Magic card onto Arena so that people will buy them. And Commander is a huge, huge market for that. And so every time that they release a Commander-style product, it's so that people, more and more people, can play Commander on Arena. Yeah. So Vorinclex there. Uh, the more relevant one for competitive play is Whirler Rogue. Um, probably not going to make an impact, but this is a card that you know shows up every now and then. It's also a human, and if yeah. they ever like go hard on humans for historic and give us ether vial and historic, like you know, it'll things will it'll be good. It was good in in modern. It can't not be good in historic. Yeah. So uh, you know that that one, you know, keep an eye out for that one. Uh, I don't think it makes any immediate impact, but it, it'll show up, you know, once every two years. Okay. Uh, last set that they started previews for is the Dungeons and Dragons set, which is Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Um, they previewed what five cards? Yeah, five cards from it. One of which I think is is interesting. Well, there's a couple of cool ones. Yeah, let's the, just go over them one by one. The the most interesting one to me is Portable Hole. This is a one white mana for an artifact. When Portable Hole enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls with the mana value two or less until Portable Hole leaves the battlefield. So that same sort of glass casket. Uh, template, but now on a one-mana spell. And I think this is the fir- first time we've seen it on a one-mana spell. Yeah, this card fucking rules. Yeah. I love everything about it. It it, it exiles Ren and Six. Yeah, I mean, so, like, white is traditionally very good at dealing with non-creature permanents, and, like, having a card that very easily interacts with a bunch of those kind of messed up weird ones in Modern and Legacy and, and even Historic now is great. And but there's also the downside that if your opponent ever kills it, they just get their thing back, like all the Oblivion Ring stuff. And if white becomes at its core a kind of like House of Cards style strategy where it has answers to everything, but if your opponent has the counter to that answer, it punishes you. That creates a lot of really cool dynamic gameplay that incentivizes uh, more widespread use of things like rip apart or removal that is a little more versatile and can can hit non-land permanents. And so portable hole. Is just a, I, I mean, it's literally just White's new Fatal Push, and I think it's awesome. Completely agree. Love that they finally put this, you know, style of effect on a one mana card. I think they hit all the numbers on it really well. 
you know, and, and the restriction, just any non-land permanent, so pretty pretty wide-ranging, but mana value two or less exactly, uh, you know, works perfectly. This is a home run for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this card's great. Um, I, I actually think I'm I'm like slightly afraid that it's too good. There's there's no there's no world to me where this card is bad. And it is a little um, it's one of those cards where it might end up where the best answer to it is your own copies, right? Because the portable hole hits other portable holes. Uh, that that might be an issue because that just sort of incentivizes it to be further uh, you know entrenched within a given metagame. But like you said, like there are way, there's plenty of ways to punish stuff like this. You know, you you can start playing fucking ancient grudge if you wanted to. Yeah, wait, is it an artifact too? I thought it was just an enchantment. It, it's a, it's an artifact. It's not an enchantment. Did I say it was? Oh I no no no! I I might have just missed in yeah. my brain. I, it was just, I knew that it was like oblivion ring or whatever. Yeah, but I, it, and I knew that it was casting. either an artifact or enchantment. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, th- yeah, that means that like Colgan's command and Prismaria command, all these cards are just going to be able to you know, pretty easily interact with it. So it's, it's going to be like a, an awesome card against like a wild Nakato deck, for example, because they're going to be, uh, their, their creatures and stuff get worse as the game goes, but it's going to be a temporary answer to something like a Renin six that can be good in the later turns of the game. And so like, you're going to have these really interesting scenarios where your opponent's going to rip a card that, that blows it up and they're going to get their spell back and they're going to be able to do some cool stuff with it. And then if you have another answer to it, great. But if you don't, like, you know, like that was your one shot. It was portable hole, man. It only cost one mana. What else? Like, what do you want? Like, yeah. it's not supposed to be perfect. <laughs> like, it's just pretty good for one mana. And I think that's going to end up making this card play out a lot better because it, you know, you're not going to get as blown out by these destroyer artifact effects that are costing two, three, two and three mana. When you know when when those kind of disenchant effects were blowing up Oblivion Ring and Glass Casket at two and three oh, mana, yeah. the mana exchange was you know, uh, and then getting another permanent on the battlefield uh, was too much to overcome. But at one mana, the opportunity cost is low enough from the portable whole player side that this card is going to be good. Yeah, I mean, this is also just going to be probably one of the best removal spells ever printed for an aggro deck because all you want to do is clear blockers so you can get in with your one mana two ones and like. This is just perfect for that style of strategy. Yep. Uh, so A plus for portable hole. Next up, another removal spell. Removal spell in power word kill. Zakalos in a black instant. Destroy target non angel, non demon, non devil, non dragon creature. Yeah, I mean this card. In my opinion, this card is basically just on the same vein as like Gopher Throat or Doom Blade or whatever. It's going to be most of the time just exactly what you need it to be, which is just a two mana kill spell. But there's just going to be an offhanded game or whatever where you feel the drawback and it loses you the game because of that drawback. And so like it's not just uh, this thing that can take care of any creature, you know? Yeah, just another one of those in, in that same vein, you know, based on the meta game, you'll know when you want to play this, you know, if, if it does, if the, you know, major creatures that are, uh, in its blind spots are not seeing play, you play this one. Otherwise, you, you go to a different one, whether it's Eliminator, Heartless Act, or Doom Blade, all, all the ones you listed. Just add this one to the list. D- do your diligence when you're tuning your list week to week. And sometimes you might play this card and sometimes you might not. Uh, not super interesting on that one, but a fine card. Uh, the last one they have is Prosperous Innkeeper, colorless and a green, and notably a halfling citizen, so not a human. It's a 1-1. When it enters the battlefield, you create a treasure token, and whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. 
So a sort of essence warden that makes a treasure but costs two. Kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I think this card is excellent. I think that they need to have more cards in the game that when they enter the battlefield, they create a treasure token because it creates this really nice dynamic between ramping as a temporary ramp effect so it's not overbearing, but also uh, it, it puts like a little bit of extra cost into the initial investment, but you get a rebate. And so while this card is essentially just like Essence Warden because it costs two mana, but you get a rebate, it's not. Because it lets you play a four drop on turn three, and it's an essence warden. You know what I mean? So like, I I mean maybe it's not good. I just wish there were more cards kind of in this vein that gave you temporary boosts instead of permanent boosts. And and I think this just really exemplifies that design space in a really nice way. I I completely agree. Uh, I think that's a a really good point that that kind of temporary boost is important. Because of, you know, what you said earlier when we were talking about prowess, where, you know, eventually certain decks just gain this critical mass of one mana effects and that the decks, they they degenerate at that point. Uh, and that's when things become problematic. And this is a good way of ensuring decks aren't too clunky because they have enough mana to function based on the cost of their spells, but doesn't give them that critical mass of one mana stuff that so they can operate on such a low base uh, and have that those like low land counts so they never flood and they always come out consistently. Um, you know, really good thing for them to start moving into. Hopefully, we see it a lot moving forward. Yeah, I mean this. So one one card that I can really easily compare this to is Seize the Spoils. Seize the Spoils is a three mana version of Tormenting Voice, where you uh, discard a card as additional cost, but then you get to draw two cards. So it kind of replaces itself. You don't actually gain mana, but it allows you to create these little mini graveyard synergies. But the kicker is that Seize the Spoils costs one more mana, but it gives you a treasure. So if you're a deck that's ramping towards like five, six, seven, or whatever, Seize the Spoils would have been incredible in a Pyromancer's Goggles deck. Because once you hit 5 mana for a Pyromancer's Goggles, it's the only card that matters, and it's the only card you want to cast, right? And so, in the same vein, you know, this this new Innkeeper allows you to get a treasure on 2, and then it has this effect with it that when it sits in play. But really what it's doing is that it fits into a, a Collected Company deck, for example, where it allows you to play Collected Company a turn early, while also being valuable alongside Collected Company. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or there are the games where it lets you double spell on turn two, so it looks like you've curved out, but you got to play your Triome on turn one, and right. you know now your now your mana is well set up. You've got all your colors because you're some sort of like multicolored deck that has a low curve. You know, th there's a lot of different ways that treasure can function, but they're all relevant, and it makes the card that much more valuable because it fits into a lot of different shells and different curves. Uh, but it doesn't leave. You know, if you had a a a deck where you know, if you, if you took every card in Modern Red Prowess and Modern and made it two mana, but it also gives you a treasure, that deck would be wildly unplayable. Uh, but so, you know, it, it, it stops that degenerative process if people get too much of that good thing, um, like it does, like happens with one mana spells. Um, so two other cards, one of them not so interesting is Tiamat or Tiamat, uh, which I guess is, was some like Dungeons and Dragons character. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of tuned that part out. Uh, but it's a 2 and Wooberg 7-7 seven, seven legendary dragon god. So importantly, this is a god, uh, if that ever matters. It has flying, 
And it's when Tiamat enters the battlefield, if you cast it, search your library for up to five dragon cards not named Tiamat that each have different names, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle. So very clearly a commander card. You know, people that are into dragons can now do five-color dragon tribal and have this really cool commander, not a constructed playable magic card. No, I, I agree. What, what was that stupid land that everyone thought was going to ruin standard because it could get, uh, like, all the gods or whatever? Oh, yeah, I don't even remember the name of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No one remembers because it doesn't matter. And But that land can get this dragon. And you know who that matters for? Commander! That's cool! It's cool! You get to do cool stuff in Commander! That's the whole point. Yeah, Commander people, you know, if that's your thing, do your thing. I'm not a commander. I like person. dragons, man. If I like if someone handed me a Tiamat deck to play in a casual fun game, I would be kind of giddy cuz I would love I what I do when I play commander, I usually borrow someone's deck cuz I don't own magic cards anymore. And uh well, I that's going to have to change, but I I sold all my magic cards before I moved to California cuz I wasn't planning on traveling to every event. Anyway, uh but like if someone handed me a Tiamat deck in a low-powered commander group, I would be ecstatic because the first time I cast Tiamat, I actually get to look through the deck and find five of the coolest fucking dragons that whoever built this deck decided to put in it. And you know what I'm going to be doing every turn for the rest of the game, Ross? Slamming I'm going to be casting a fucking dragon. And it's going to be rad. So yeah, Tiamat, the legendary god dragon from Dungeons & Dragons. And that also implies that they're going to uh, do Bahamut, I think is what it's called. Which is, like, uh, the counterpart to Tiamat that's supposed to be, like, the good guy, Elder Dragon God, or whatever. Yeah, obviously that's going to be a card, too. Alright. Last card that they previewed here from the D&D set is Vorpal Sword. Uh, One black mana for an artifact equipment. As equipped for black black, equipped creature gets plus two plus oh and has a death touch. And for five black black black, it says, until end of turn, Vorpal Sword gains. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player... That player loses the game. <laughs> this card rules. It's like so weird, but also just so flavorful because it's just this like magical sword that's pretty good. And then if you decide to channel the entirety of like of the magic energy from the swamp that you live in or whatever, like into this thing, it can defeat Tiamat, you know, like, but you, it takes so much and you have to be like, you have to be like lucky because your opponent has to have like no removal spell, no blocker. And then you have to spend eight mana after already spending three mana and have a creature in play. And if you do all that, you win the game. Congratulations. Yeah. I just hope that I get to see someone activate this card on camera and have it connect. I want to see this card trigger. So, uh, just funny little anecdote, and I'm I'm gonna bring this up to my wife later. Callie just started playing uh, a D and D with some of her friends uh, around town, but she's been playing over Skype until everybody gets vaccinated. But I helped her build her character, and her character is just like this little uh, uh, devil person. I don't or demon person. I forgot. It's, she's like a demon detective. It's like her whole deal. It's really cool, but she ends up, like, her her overarching thing is that she's, like, the daughter of the devil, basically, and she has a sword that she never uses. But my idea for the DM is that at the end of their session, like, the last session that they play together, they're fighting the big boss, right? And the big boss goes into this, like, ultimate form, and then she just finally pulls out her sword, 
cuts open a portal to hell and sends the boss to hell. Nice. But like, but they've already beat the boss, but this is just like extra story stuff added in. And she's, she like never uses her sword ever. She's like a dagger person, I guess, or whatever. But I just think that that's the, the sword, right? That's just the, the idea that I had incorporated into a Magic Gathering card. It was kind of awesome to see that like immediately coming and becoming a thing and like being mostly unrelated to each other, you know? Yeah, just a happy coincidence. But do, do you think this card is at all constructed playable? You know, three mana, you oh, get it, plus two yeah. or so, you get some death touch. Like, I think it's like kind of cool with all the, the cheap black creatures that are recursive that you don't really ever want to block. Uh, but it does, just doesn't seem efficient enough to me. I haven't seen an equipment that was good in like 10 years, so I'm going to say it's probably hmm. bad. We, we uh, got Maul of the Skyclaves like six months ago. Yeah, that was not really an equipment. Uh, like, okay, uh, Embercleave and Maul of the Skyclaves aren't equipment. They are auras with with flash that or whatever that allow you to do weird combat stuff. Like specifically to me, an actual equipment is a card that you have to pay some mana to put on the table and then pay some mana to equip. So it's usually like rather cumbersome, but the payoff is that you don't have to invest more creatures into like a sweeper effect. And also usually that equipment does something cool, uh like you know, Luxon Warhammer, for example. At, sure. at this stage, I, I don't think Luxon Warhammer would see much play. I think. I mean, it didn't see play was... when it was first printed. Sure, but I digress. Uh, mostly, I just I think that um, most equipment, unless it has some extra messed up thing, probably not going to be that good because equipment in general are just too heavy of an investment for what they give you. Yeah, it just doesn't feel to me like they print them at a rate that is constructed appropriate. You know, maybe they just feel like they've been bit too hard by, um, you know, some of the ones they printed in the past. But, like, when Sword of War and Peace was really good in Standard, was that a problem? I don't think so. No, the swords, okay, the, just because the, the, like, newer equipment or whatever is not seeing a lot of play doesn't mean that they can't make equipment that's overpowered. Yeah, like all the all the swords. Like, if you make an equipment where connecting effectively ends the game, yeah, like that one's gonna be playable. And this one kind of has that with the eight mana thing, but that's eight's a ton, you know. Eight, especially for a deck that wants to play equipment, eight mana is an unfeasible amount of mana in a game of Magic. If you, know? if you resolve an eight mana spell or effect in a game of Magic, you should win immediately. Right. Like, if there was some card, like, if there was a 1-mana 2-1, but it said 8-mana, but gets plus 10, plus 10, I would say that that ability almost never gets used. But the fact that it's a 1-mana 2-1 with the ability to do that should the worst-case scenario happen means that it ends up being playable, but you're playing it because it's a 1-mana 2-1. Yeah. Yeah, the rest of it's just a bonus. and then Right. And so for this card specifically, it's very similar where, like, I don't think the front half is good enough that the back half means that it's good. Agreed. Okay, uh, so that is all the previews they had from today. Um, I don't really have any major takeaways. Like, this is just sort of the beginning for each of the next couple sets. We're basically at a point in Magic where it's just never-ending preview season. I guess that's the real takeaway, is, like, preview season just doesn't end now. Well, why should it? I mean, I, for one, would generally like a bit of a break, but that's me, I guess. I don't know, man. I've I've played a lot of games where they don't come out with new content for six months at a time or whatever. It gets boring. It gets boring really fast. You know what I get to do in Magic? I get to write about new decks every month. Once a month, there's a new set or some coming out, and it's just like, hey, this is affecting you and and everyone who plays Magic. 
Um, and there's like 20 things you can pick and choose between to write about. And I'm just like, okay, perfect. Here's like six articles. Cedric, print these over the next month <laughs> yeah. and we'll be good. I, I, I will agree with you there. It's, ve- it's very good for my job. Uh, so, so professional me is just happy to have more things to write about, you know, uh, so that's good. But it, it's a little bit exhausting. I'll, I'll say it, at this rate, it, it's exhausting. They could pare back a little bit. Oh yeah, could they could definitely pare back a little bit, but they they have created an engine that is designed to farm money from us and they're not going to turn it down until until we break. They will not turn the machine off. Yeah, I understand what they're doing, Todd. It's not Oh, I know you understand <laughs> what they're doing. So so like, you know, it's the asking the question like or like, you know, saying like I wish they would pare back a little bit like there's just no reason for them to because the majority of people who play the game are completely fine with it. Okay, so now we are going to move on into the mailbag portion of the show. I see two questions in our mailbag. I asked them to yesterday to get their questions in. The first one comes from Practical Logic, and they ask, what was your favorite book when you were a kid or teenager? Uh, Miss Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Nice. Um, I've, read, I've read that book probably ten times. I love it. So I, I know I used to read a lot when I was, you know, between the ages of, like, five and ten, and then didn't read a lot as a teenager. Now I read more uh, in my 20s and 30s, but just nonfiction. When I was really young, though, like when my mom was like reading us, uh, you know, bedtime stories and whatever, we had a book that was partly in Spanish called The Iguana Brothers that we really liked. That one I, yeah, it was just about two Iguana Brothers. It's great. Um, so that, that's the only one that I, whose like name I can really remember. Like I could not tell you a single book I read from the ages of five and 10, even though I probably read a hundred. Uh, I, I used to do uh, accelerated reader. I know that I've told you about this, but I used to read constantly when I was in elementary school because whoever had the like most accelerated reader points by the end of the year, won a bike Ooh. and guess who won a goddamn bike. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, we used to have the the our, the Simar program, the cl- close your mouth and read. I think it's the national, and then um, there was um, there was definitely a like a a program when I was like between first and third grade where you'd like read a book and take some like test about it to test you you know that you actually read it. Um, yeah, that's that's what ours was. Yeah, that's yeah. what Excel reader was. But we didn't we didn't have there was no incentive for us to to do a ton of it. Yeah, it was like a statewide program, and they went like uh, each school is like at the end of like a semester or a year or whatever is just like prizes were awarded to uh, people based on like you know thresholds they'd hit, but also they had like special prizes for like first, second, third in the school, and they went around and did this to every school in Georgia. It was awesome. How, how nice was the bike? It was like a nice bike. It was like a one that like, you know, had gears on it and stuff. I remember that was a big deal at the time. Nice. Glad they didn't cheap out and give you some shit bike. Same. A little oh, huffy or whatever. Yeah. We also there was also uh at our public library over the summer, there was reading programs every year and that like you you got something for completing it. There was no like, you know, who came first, but my sister and I uh always competed as to who could uh, do it first and by we competed i mean i competed with her and she didn't care um <laughs> as as is ross's relationship with every person he's trying to compete with. <laughs> but it got to the point where 
It was supposed to be something that would last you all summer. It was like, you know, 30 different short stories and you would go up to the librarian at the desk in the kids area and ask her for the one you wanted to take out and then read it. And then you had to like, you know, answer the questions at the end. And if you told her the right, the right answer, she would mark it on, on your little form. Uh, it was like a cardboard sort of form with, and it was, you know, decorated in whatever that summer's theme was. And it got to the point where, I would sit down with it, just go to the back, look at the questions, and I could sort of guess what the answer probably was without reading the story. And I would go up and, and give her the answers, and I'd usually get like one or two wrong. And she'd be like, no, those are those are wrong. And then I would just skim the story for the answers to those couple of questions. So I would finish the entire thing in like three hours when it was supposed to take you the entire summer. Yeah, I gamed the system. That's fine. I watched Going with the Wind and then took the test on it. So. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just how you know we're, we're gamers. It's how we're gonna game. I've always been gamers, man. Even even before I started playing Magic, I, this is how I this yeah. is how I was. Yeah, you like you you uh you you break every system. I remember um, I I took PE in college because you had to take like four PE classes in over eight semesters. And I, I landed on one that I really liked, and so I just retook it, which you were allowed to do. And it was just team sports with one of the assistant football coaches from Claremont McKenna. Uh, and he, he would always say that he loved doing PE with mutters, uh, because no matter like what game he gave us, they would always break it in some way. Because, you know, we were the, the engineer science people who were not athletic. So in order to get an advantage, we had to like somehow break the rules of the game or like, you know, stretch them. And it was all, he was always really excited to see how like we broke it. And then he'd have to come up with some other rule to stop that. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Y'all are just a stress test. That's yeah, cool. exactly. Um, uh, so a second question from the mailbag. This one comes from our lovely editor, Brent. Uh, but it says they're asking it for at Cody James. And it says, with Uro gone, do you think Chonky Red will or can make a comeback, assuming in Pioneer? Um, yes. <laughs> is this, if this is specifically for me, because it's a Chonky Red question, I'll say that I I have always loved like mid-range red decks, and the the whole Chonky Red thing was just like me kind of attaching my own name and brand to like a an archetype in the format that I really enjoy playing. Um, I don't remember the last time I played Pioneer. I have no idea if it's gonna be different because Uro is gone, and I honestly don't care. And I don't mean to be that in the callous way or whatever. They just stopped supporting the format, so I stopped buying into it. You know. Yeah. Um, as far as I can see, I, I doubt it. You know, it's just too many sets have been added. People have figured out strategies. Like, there's just no way a chonky red deck is beating a Nivmizit in a million years. Maybe. They could, you know, you could, like, steal it somehow or whatever. In a mono red? With what? Are you talking about, like, five-color Niv? Or are you talking about blue, 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 red, red, red Niv? No, I'm talking about five-color Niv. Oh, the one yeah, that sees a lot of play. That. Yeah, you can't you can't beat that card in a million years. Like it's just well, the... mid range decks cannot beat that card. Yes, yeah. that's, that's just not possible. It's the most value generating thing I've ever seen. It doesn't matter if it, if you're not dead the turn you cast it, then you can't win. It would involve like being a different version of the same archetype and just still calling it chunky red. But you'd have to go like hard, hard on cheap creatures and Ember Cleave, and then it's not really the same deck. Yeah, then you're just a mono red aggro deck. Like Niv Mizzet is is on it. Like might be worse for you than Uro. Like Uro, you could at least like play Graveyard Hate. Like you could play Relic of Progenitus or or, you know Soul God Lantern, 
and beat it some some you can't do that with Nimbusit. And even if you play like a Takatli Honor Guard kind of effect, like it's still a five mana six six flyer. That that already you have trouble beating. <laughs> um. Okay, so now we're going to move on to the overrated, underrated section. So this is kind of qu- this is kind of a lightning round, Todd. This is just quick hits, you know, brief explanation. Yeah, but they're, they're going to give us a thing, and then we just say if it's overrated or underrated. Uh, and uh, Lee no McClaw- explanations? Uh, uh, sm- short explanations. Okay. Uh, which for me is a long explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, first one comes from Lee McLeod, and it's intentional draws. You, you go first, Todd. Uh, are intentional draws underrated or overrated? Yeah. That's you, the question. Yeah, you could say properly rated as well, but... Uh, they are overrated. Oh, I, I think intentional draws should not be a part of Magic the Gathering. The only reason that they are is because of necessity in real life. Um, I was a major proponent of trying to mirror real life back in the day with Magic Online, and I was a I was heavily against getting rid of intentional draws on Magic Online, but now I just don't care. Like, just play your matches, just win. Don't concede, don't draw, just play and just win. And the tournament structures should have incentives to eliminate draws, like the double elimination thing, or just like the multiple brackets where if you lose you get into the lower bracket, and if you lose again you're out. Yeah, I I very much agree that, uh, and I'd be open to new tournament structures that get out of uh, that disincentivize draws. Um, but as far as it comes to when it comes to Swiss tournament structures, intentional draws are necessary, and that to me makes them underrated because there's plenty of people that would just would just want to see them go away, but they don't understand what the ramifications of that would be. Like the opposite would be worse because there would be so much gamesmanship and like weird skirting of the rules, and that would be way way worse. So I'm gonna say slightly underrated, even though they're bad, because I think I I just think that the Swiss tournament system is just bad. I think it just needs to change. I mean, it, it's very good at paring down large fields. That's its okay. So so you do so what you do is you just have day one or whatever be Swiss, and then day two is like all single elimination or whatever, and you just make a cut on day one. Yeah, like there are th- there are things that people can do, and I I think like mix that that kind of thing for multi day tournaments, mixed Swiss and and not. Makes a lot of sense, um, you know, and I think we should have been thinking about alternate tournament structures for a while. Probably wouldn't have been that possible given how shitty Wizard Software was forever. Um, I don't and know. And the fact that we're basically mandated to use it, which is yeah, just like a, the worst thing ever. Yeah, we're we're not really allowed to innovate at that level as you know independent tournament organizers. Okay, uh, next up from Cathal, they say motorsports, like. NASCAR, F1. Uh, personally, I think vastly overrated. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of them, and other people are, so by definition, overrated. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoy watching F1 when it's on, you know? Like, I, I like the, the the more intense, I guess, the motorsport, the more fun it is to watch. But as far as, like, NASCAR or, like, driving boats around on, on a race or whatever, I just, I don't see it, man. I don't, yeah. And that's okay. It's not for me, and that's okay. But, you know, if I have to if I have to choose, I say overrated. I would be a lot more interested if they gave me, like, in-depth details about all the inner workings of the car. But I don't, I think most fans of them would dislike that. <laughs> like, that would be, like, the analytics of, of racing. 
Yeah, I mean, like people almost rioted when they made NASCAR put like a, a limiter on one on their cars, like as a rule. Like you have to have this limiter so that it can't go over 350 miles an hour or whatever. Stupid. I don't know. It was it was it was like people were mad about that, and it's literally just about making sure people don't die in a race. You know? Yeah. Okay. Next up from KFET, and it's Campari. Is that that drink? Uh, it's in a it's a liqueur. Overrated. I've had it before, and it almost threw up. I hated it. Uh, uh, famously part of the Negroni cocktail. Um, but, and, and honestly, I'm not sure if I've ever had it. Neg- Negroni's on my list of cocktails to try because I like gin. Um, and Campari is supposed to be a sort of herbal liqueur. So I imagine I would like it. Uh, and I imagine most people wouldn't. So I'm going to say I also don't underrated. like gin though. I also don't like gin. So like take that with a grain of salt. It just because yeah. it tastes like a pine tree, you know? See that, well, that's what's, that's what's great about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, not for me. Uh, next up from Thresh Thresh Ramp Zero One Mini Golf. Oh, way underrated. Mini Golf rules. Agreed. Mini Golf is great. I've played probably five hundred rounds of miniature golf in my life. I mean, I think regular golf is way overrated. I think regular golf is just like long and boring and arduous, and like mini golf is just something that any schlub can do for five bucks at the local place or whatever. And it's awesome. And it's a great way to spend a night. And I'm really sad that no one ever wants to go mini golfing with me. I would go miniature golfing with you, but I would also want to bring my own putter. Well, that's okay, but you have to bring one for the whole class. (laughs) You can't, you don't just get an unfair advantage. Like I have a bent and partially broken putter with rubber on the end of it, and you're like, here's this $400 putter that I use on oh. a professional course whenever I go play around a 9 or 18. It would be like a $25 putter from Dick's. Like, I'm not going crazy here. But well, I can't go back. Like, I've played miniature golf with a real putter before, and it's so much nicer. Um, because I had, a group of, I had a group of friends back in Connecticut. All four of us had putters. We, we, Y'all were all che- okay, when everyone has it, that's fine. Yeah. But if, every, if not everyone has it, and you bring one, you're cheating. I mean, that's. A, I mean, you have the option to do it. I'm not barring you. I also you from have doing the it. option to not. Yeah. So you're putting a $25 extra price tag <laughs> on going to have to play miniature golf, and also have to like carry a fucking putter around with me. I no. mean, you have to carry you're the cheating. putter they give you anyway. You're not getting out of that. Right, but I have to like leave it in my car or whatever, so that I always have it in case Ross randomly wants to go play miniature golf, and <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be at a huge competitive disadvantage. You just leave it in your trunk. <laughs> okay. Well, we that's won't... like that's like that's like saying it's mandatory to have like uh uh what's one of those like digital life pads called? Uh the the boogie board. Yeah. It's like it's like okay, but like a boogie board you start at 21 life, but like you don't have to bring one. You, know, <laughs> you don't have to bring a boogie board, but if you do, you start at 21 life. I would just start at 20 and the next time I won a tournament I would be so happy. <laughs> Just out of principle, like, fuck it. You take your life point. Okay, next up, Leo the Magic Man says, Mr. Beast. I don't know what this is, do you? Uh, okay, so Mr. Beast is a YouTube uh, celebrity, and I, I, I don't know what game he's super famous for, but they recently contracted him to do a promotional thing for Friday Night Magic about two weeks ago. And what they did was he was, like, in the queue, and playing random matches under a different name and if you played against him and beat him you were entered in you were entered into a pool of players that did the same thing and they chose two at random for twenty five thousand dollars each i i remember this promotion i just didn't recall the name immediately yeah 
so that's Mr. Beast. Um, that $50,000, I think, was very poorly spent. You don't think a lot of people participated? I think, no, a lot of people did participate. I just think that they spent too much money. I think that, well, first of all, they should have done, like, a much more flat payout. So, like, way more people got $1,000. So that, like, people could just, like, tell the story of, like, oh, yeah, I played against Mr. Beast and I beat him and I won $1,000. You know, like, that would have been cool. Yeah, but if, if they did, like, a 25, a 5, and 21s. Or so yeah, I don't know what they could have done. That like that would require him to play like fifty matches or twenty something match. That's not feasible. But yeah. but but what they did is they they started it at like eleven AM on a Friday and it only lasted for like three hours. As far as I know, Mr. Beast did not stream it and like I don't I and like I don't know who won. So I feel like they just like had this thing that they talked about but the way that they did it, I just, like, it wasn't a visible promotion. Like, I didn't actually see what happened because the Friday night magic happened at Friday noon, and I have no clue who won. Yeah. And that sucks. I also have no no clue who won. I would I would have assumed that, like, whoever won would have, but you know, run to Twitter to announce it, but they, it was probably someone not on Twitter. Yeah, it's probably just some random person in the world because Magic is like a worldwide game and anyone on Arena can play anyone else. Okay, so overrated then. No, Mr. Beast, the play. I don't know anything about him. I'll say un- undecided. I mean, I- I'm not talking about the person as a player. I'm, I'm assuming oh. that they mean like this promotion and this idea. Oh, that-, that promotion was incredibly overrated and a huge waste of money in my opinion. Yeah, you're allowed to interpret the overrated, underrated in whatever way is appropriate. Fair enough. Okay. I just didn't want to like give the impression that I am not a fan of Mr. Beast when the only thing I know about Mr. Beast is that he kicks ass at Fall Guys, and the first time I watched a Fall Guys tournament, him and his team won. Okay. The then we've got Cathal with buttermilk. Um, I will say way overrated for like drinking purposes and way underrated for cooking purposes. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would never drink buttermilk; it tastes like shit. Yeah. But putting it in like pancakes or whatever just makes them fluffy and creamy and delicious. Yeah, it, it, I think my one issue is it, it's it's probably most associated with like ranch dressing, like buttermilk ranch, and ranch sucks. But like buttermilk well, biscuits, you're you're an idiot. It's fine, whatever. <laughs> buttermilk biscuits though, great. So like all all ranch dressing is is buttermilk and just like a smattering of seasonings and like specifically. They're related to like this original seasoning packet or whatever that someone created called ranch seasoning. And so like if you make your own ranch, you can make it taste like whatever you want and you could tweak the flavors or whatever, however you want. And I've had like just insane homemade ranch before, but like Hidden Valley or whatever is just like fine. It's not that good. I'm I'm honestly not a big like creamy dressing person. I mostly go for some sort of vinaigrette. Or like, uh, you know, Greek dressing, something like that, which is basically just a vinaigrette. Um, that said, I like I like a little blue cheese every now and then with with the right salad, or with, with, if I eat wings, blue cheese is obviously great. But that's because so like blue is, cheese isn't blue cheese dressing just uh, buttermilk with blue cheese chunks in it and like a couple spices or whatever? Yeah, but that's just blue cheese being great. Okay, but what if you made blue cheese ranch? <laughs> I mean, then it would just be blue cheese. It wouldn't be ranch. No, but you'd have all the ranch seasoning, so it would taste like ranch, but have blue cheese in it, and then you get the best of both worlds. Okay, well, le- next time we'll mix them together, and we'll see how it goes. Okay, great. <laughs> next up, uh, Joe at Mr. English 
2-2 with The Duck Song. I also don't know what this is. Yeah, I don't know. Never heard it. Okay, sorry. Moving on. This will be the last one we do. We're already getting up there in time. This is Gold with Les Mis. Um, I would say for our crowd, uh, very underrated. I'm not a huge fan of musicals. Um, I actually haven't even seen the whole thing. I watched uh, about 90% of it one night and stayed up way too late. I just like missed the opening act or whatever, but I like, I, I know everything that happens because Callie loves it, but. Uh, Are you talking about was, the movie that they did with like Anne Hathaway it, yeah. and Hugh Jackman? Yeah, 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 yeah of course. Okay. Uh, so uh, but the, the I've movie never, they did was like exceptional. Yeah. I've never seen the movie, but Les Mis is great. It is, you know, it's pretty highly rated, you know, it's very, very, very popular, uh, especially in its day. But like, I Dreamed a Dream is a fucking great song. Um, Anne Hathaway murdered that song, man. She mm. made me cry. I've never cried like that. But uh, it's one of the things I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, when we get some semblance of normalcy, and that is going back to the theater that's here in Roanoke, because we have a nice regional theater. Um, they do usually do about four productions a year, uh, at least on the main stage. They do a couple more on, on the side stage. And I know uh, Corey is actually a, a big fan of musical theater, so we're, we're going to have a nice group. I like to get dressed up when I go to the theater. You know, nice. I'm in, man. That sounds like fun. Yeah, and it's right. It's 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 in the center of the square building. The mar- uh, so it's like right downtown. So you get and like the and, you know it starts like eight. You get out at ten, and then you have a couple drinks, and then it's a good night. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, so when that opens up, we'll uh, we'll have to check it out because musicals are actually really sweet. Um, okay, so that is gonna do us here. Before we get to the outros, I would be remiss if I did not mention our sponsor, Barrister and Man. Uh, fine purveyor of grooming products, um, you know, uh, shaving products as well, which, you know, I don't use as much, but the soaps that they make are fantastic uh, and all that stuff. So please check them out if you can. That's barristerandman.com. Man is with two N's. So keep that in mind and be sure to use our promo code MTG Rants to get 15% off. Um, you know, if Tannen were here, he would keep telling you about how much the like shaving stuff has changed his life because it's so good. Like all the all the grooming stuff that products we use are really shit. Like because they, we've just been like the quality has been reduced over the years because of capitalism. Uh, and so like when you use really like well crafted stuff, it's a huge difference. It's so awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm also a huge fan of of companies that take one thing extremely seriously and like put their name on it and barrister man seems like i mean i i you know i've only heard y'all really talk about them or whatever but like uh you know they seem like good folks yeah they do their thing they do it really well if you're a baseball fan their diamond collection should be uh out now um you know if you just want to smell like a fucking baseball diamond uh my my favorite is the seville scent so if you want the ross approved uh you know go for seville um on all the things that are scented but really can't go wrong. Great stuff. That's Barrister and Man, Man with two N's, and use the code MTGRANTS for 15% off. Todd, thank you so much for filling in for Tannen. It's been lovely having you. Yeah, man, this is a lot of fun. I'd love to be on more often if you ever need me, just let me know. Well, if people want to see more of your rants outside of the cast, where can they find you? Uh, so my stream's going to be starting back up uh, in like a week or two. We're moving into our house next week, and after our delivery for our furniture and stuff gets here, I'll have my stream room set up and ready to go, and I'll be doing that at twitch.tv slash strong underscore sad. 
You can also check out my articles every week on StarCityGames.com. Uh, there's one up right now about Boros Wizards in Historic, where I talk about all the cool wizards that they have in the format and how Wizards Lightning is just Lightning Bolt, and that's awesome and it's super good. Uh, I think the deck's actually awesome right now, too, so give it give that a look. Um, those are the two places where I generally make content, and that's about it. I don't really give a shit about Twitter or whatever. <laughs> uh, so as far as I'm concerned... Uh, I do give a shit about Twitter, uh, just because it's the best place to, you know, ask me questions or keep abreast of content if, if schedules change and whatnot. So I'm at, uh, Ross Hunneds. That's H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Uh, you gotta change that. You mm. just gotta go back to like Ross Miriam or whatever. Yeah. The, the, the meme has died. It's, it's, it's been too long. I probably should change it. Um, but we had a good run. Then <laughs> there is, um, my, my articles on Star City Games. The, typically they go up on Tuesdays. Uh, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, this week's article is all about Is It Dragons in Standard, a deck that I think is very underrated right now um, because it's gotten a, a real shot in the arm from where it was, uh, you know, last season. I think the additions of the new cards are both are powerful additions, but also pivot the deck in the direction that it always should have been um, instead of the direction that it was last season. So you can check that article out now. Then there is Versus Live, the show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. Uh, and hopefully we'll uh, incorporate Todd back into that soon. Um, yeah, I'm scheduled to do some in, in June, but for most of the month of May or whatever, I'm, I'm not scheduled yeah, for Yeah, so we'll, we'll get Todd back on versus uh, pretty soon here. Not you know, Blink and you'll miss it. Uh, but that show is Tuesday, Thursday, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time is when we do it live. We take questions live on the air, so it's a great time to catch us and ask us about anything relevant to competitive magic. But if you can't catch us live, you can find the VODs on the Star City Games YouTube channel. They go up the day after at 5 p.m. Eastern, so they go up Wednesday and Friday, respectively, for the Tuesday and Thursday shows. Uh, and then finally, my stream, which is on a long hiatus right now. I promise it'll come back soon. If you want to get on Twitch and throw me, you know, a follow so that you get a notification when things come back, I would appreciate it. Uh, and I am Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. So just my name, easy to find there. Once again, Todd, thank you for uh, coming on. Loved having you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. It was fun. Okay. Uh, that's going to be it for us. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you next week.